Good morning. Happy Easter. For those of you who are here for the first time, I'm Pastor John Allen, lead pastor here, or if you're joining us online for the first time. And I don't typically wear a tie. I wear this in memory of my mother every, not this one, but a tie in memory of my mother on Easter because if I didn't, she would not be happy. (laughs) And she would be looking down on me from heaven with a frown on her face, but I know that this uh, makes her smile, so... Uh, just uh, want to say a word of memory about my mom. Um, I don't know whether you saw this or not, but I was startled. I was startled that the New York Times published an op-ed on Friday entitled, In This Time of War, I Propose We Give Up on God. Have you ever heard about that? It's been on on the cable networks. I I was just amazed. Uh, The author, Shalom Oslander, blames God for the suffering of the world and the shattered lives of war. So he surmises that we should give up on God. What a preposterous notion to give up on God when we need God the most. I mean, I'm thinking, what is this guy? To turn away from the God of life when our world is divided and torn to turn away from the divine presence that proclaims hope and restoration in the midst of evil. You know, we cannot stand for this kind of misrepresentation any longer. We must, as brothers and sisters in Christ, stand and tell the truth. We must stand and confront those who misrepresent the God that we worship, the God of forgiveness, the God of love, the God that defeats evil, the God that is willing to give himself through his son, Jesus Christ. To give up on God? What What is this guy thinking? You know, thankfully, there has been an outrage on the internet, uh, a tsunami of sorts, um, uh, that's of those speaking out against what this man has to say. Because this weekend, almost one billion people, one billion people will gather to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Almost one peop- billion people will shout, Christ the Lord is risen today, hallelujah. That is our legacy. That is our faith. That is is what we stand on as the church and as Christians as we go out into that world that that is divided, that is at war. And this time more than ever needs the message of Easter that Christ the Lord is risen today. He has defeated death. He has defeated evil. And we stand for the Christ of all creation. That's who we are, and that is our proclamation today. Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength, our Redeemer. May these words be your words. For all that I don't speak, O God, may you fill in the gaps in our hearing. For all that I misspeak, may you correct it in our hearing. Hide me behind the cross, O God, that we and me would hear your word today 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. It is the Gospel of John that gives to us the first eyewitness account of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, in chapter 20 of John, we typically focus on Peter and John who run to the tomb at Mary's, uh, uh, when Mary comes to the disciples and tells them that the body of Jesus has been stolen. But today I'd like to look at Mary. Because if we look closely at the way that John tells the story, we see there that Mary goes through a process of developing faith in her realization of who Jesus really is. It starts with her arrival. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed. While it was still dark. Now, John, John's setting us up here, okay? Because the word scotia, which means dark or darkness, it also means, it also means, The darkness of despair when faith is lacking. The darkness of despair. She went to the tomb while it was still dark. Not only the darkness of the night, but the darkness of her soul. Have you been there? You know, have you experienced that darkness? I know that I have at one time or another a darkness that at times can be all-consuming. The darkness of despair when faith is lacking. All of Mary's dreams had been dashed against what she believed to be the end of Jesus. And Mary finds herself like we sometimes do, without hope. And so Mary assumes the worst. She goes back to the disciples. She runs to inform the disciple of what she thinks is a grave robbing. And so Peter, and we believe John, he doesn't identify himself here, but we, we believe that it's John. You know that in the Gospel of John, he never really identifies himself except as the disciple who Jesus loved. Now, we, we know that it's John because we can make the association. And so they go to the tomb. And John gets there first. He's the younger. I can, I, I can feel that. I know that if I were, those of us who are older, we get there last. Um, but it was Peter who had the guts to go into the tomb first. And, and what we see here is that Peter goes in, he sees the linen cloths lying there, and he comes out without believing. John then looks in. And what he tells us is that he saw and believed. Now, they leave and go back. Now, what's interesting about what they see there is that if it were, in fact, a grave robbing, the grave robbers would not have taken the time to take the linen cloths off of the body. That, that, when you're going to rob a grave, particularly one that is guarded by soldiers, you would take the body and do that later. They leave behind the evidence because it's not a grave robbing. Mary goes back. We, we don't know why Mary goes back to the cemetery, but she goes back. And she's still in darkness, 
But in verse 11 and 12, it says, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she bent over and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels dressed in white. Um, Mary... Mary's still blinded by the, by the doubt and by her lack of faith. And so she looks into the tomb. And the Greek word there is thorio, which is to see without understanding. Or to see to, uh, and, and know that it's not real. Thorio is like, is the word that you would use if you would go to a movie, Okay. You're watching a movie, you enjoy the movie, but you know the movie's not true, okay? You would see a movie. That's theoretical. She's looking into the tomb. She sees the angels, but she's not yet ready to believe that this is true. She's not yet ready to hear what they have to say to her. And they ask her in verse 13 and 14, why are you weeping? And she says, I've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around. She turned around. Now, the word there is estafe. It is a, a form of the, of the root word strepho. And estafe is like... It, the Greek is so wonderful because it has all these different words for different things, much more descriptive than English. It's like seeing something out of the corner of your eye. A, a strepho is you see it, and so you turn, because, and you don't know why you're turning, it, because you, you just kind of, your brain is working and you're not really thinking, okay? And so she turns and she sees Jesus. But obviously, she's yet to understand. That's what the word estrepho actually, you know, means, is to turn without understanding. And she sees Jesus standing there, so she doesn't know who he is. So I was thinking about this. I thought, you know, this is another stage that we go through in our faith. You know, the dark night of the soul, the, the, the darkness of the lack of faith, the, the seeing of, 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 uh, of the reality of God, but yet to understand fully. And now a partial turn, a partial change, okay, figuratively. And then Jesus says to her, Mary. And now she turns, and John uses a different word. It is strafesia. And strafesia means full dramatic change. See, Mary's gone from lack of faith. She's gone to seeing but yet not understanding. She's gone to a slight turn. What is this that I'm looking at or what is this that I'm experiencing? And now when Jesus speaks her name, it is full dramatic understanding and change that takes place. And, and really, as I was looking through this, this is the process that we go through in our own faith. And sometimes we go through it several times in our lives. And she says, Raboni, which means teacher, a full recognition of Jesus. 
when he calls her by name, she realizes the truth of what has happened. Jesus is alive. His body has not been stolen. And so she runs back to the disciples. But now her story is different. She's not telling the disciples about, a, about Jesus' body being stolen. Now she says, I have seen the Lord. And although John doesn't say it to us, you know, it, it, it is obvious that she probably tells them, he called me by name. We converse together. He is risen. I know it to be true. I know it to be true. And when here she says, I have seen the Lord, John uses yet another word for see. Haraka. Haraka. Haraka, which means deep spiritual insight. To see with spiritual eyes. To understand with the heart and the soul. Mary has gone from spiritual darkness to full dramatic change. You know, as I was working on this, I realized that there are many Christians that are stuck in some place in that process. Some are stuck in, in the darkness of doubt. Some are stuck in just seeing, but the, what is this going on in my life? And I've been there. I have, I, I have been there. You know, and, and, and the Christian faith is challenged. It's challenged as some ancient story, some myth. It causes doubt. I find myself in anxiety and fear. I see the Lord without fully understanding what it is the Lord wants. And then I hear Jesus call my name. Now, it's not a verbal name. I'm not schizophrenic, okay? Um, it's, it's through ex experiences. Like on Friday night in the Good Friday service, at the end of the service, I... I could hear Jesus calling my name and, and tears began to run down, my, run down my face because I realized in that moment that Jesus had died for me. He was calling my name. He had died for John Allen because he loved me and cared for me and was never going to give up from, on me. When we hear Jesus call our name, there's nothing else that we can do but respond. And I long to hear Jesus called my name to see the fullness of his glory, to experience the wonder of his power, and to overcome through that power whatever life might bring. Now, so how do we get out of this? How do we get out of this being stuck? I've, I have found that sometimes it's uh, what, what helps me the most is to go back to the scriptures and to begin to review what are the facts what is the truth of this? And when we look at the truth and the facts of the resurrection, the, the, the proof is overwhelming. Josh McDowell, who was an atheist, who converted because he was challenged to prove that Jesus was not the Son of God, to prove that Jesus was not uh, risen from the dead, 
He says this, he said, for centuries, many of the world's distinguished philosophers have assaulted Christianity as being irrational, superstitious, and absurd. Many have chosen simply to ignore the central issue of the resurrection. Others have tried to explain it away through various theories, but the historical evidence just cannot be discounted. A student at the University of Iroquois once asked him, he said, why can't you refute the, uh, Christianity? And he says, I'm not able to explain away the resurrection as an event in history. Now, stick with me here, because let me go through the evidence. Those who witnessed Jesus after his death were more than just James, John, and Mary, and a few. He appears in both physical and spiritual form. And none of these eyewitness accounts have been refuted historically. Some have been tried, they've tried to explain away, but there's been no historical evidence presented to refute the stories of the New Testament. And you might say, well, but it's all just in the Bible. Well, the fact of the matter is, yeah, it may be collected there in the Bible, but it comes from eight different sources. These are not just one source. These are eight different sources that were collected together. He appeared to Mary Magdalene, as reported by John and Mark, to the other women, as recorded by Matthew, to Peter, as recorded by Luke and by his letter in Corinthians, to the Corinthians, to two men on the road to Emmaus in Luke and Mark, to ten of the disciples in Luke and John, to the eleven disciples eight days later in John, to the seven disciples by the Sea of Tiberias in John, to five hundred followers, as reported by the letter to Corinthians and Acts, to James as reported by Paul in Corinthians, and to the 11 at the ascension as reported by Acts. And the most compelling of all argument comes from Paul himself. Paul was the most aggressive prosecutor of Christians in the first century. He not only would arrest them and try them and convict them as Christians, he would put them to death. That's how ardent of a disbeliever that he was. And yet, when he experienced the risen Christ, everything changed. And he became the greatest evangelist of the first century. Proof? You want proof? It is right before us. It is right before us. The historical fact remains. Jesus was raised from the dead. His victory over death is the ultimate break in history where God proves that there is no defeat outside of God's life-giving power. Not even death can stand in the way of God's purposes in this world. Okay. But what does this mean for us? My life is not real good right now. There's suffering in this world. There's evil in this world. What does the resurrection say about that? Or, or even how would we respond to Oslander in his article about war and suffering there? In some ways, all of us have been knocked. No, all of us have been knocked down. Not in some ways. All of us have been knocked down. I'm reminded of the story about the uh, cowboy who's making his way down a trail in Arizona not really paying attention. He comes around this bend and he sees an army scout with his ear to the ground. 
And as the cowboy gets close by, he hears the scout say, wagon, drawn by two horses, horses both dapplegate grays, passengers in the wagon, man and a woman, man driving wagon. The cowboy couldn't believe it. He was amazed. He said, my gosh, man, that's incredible. You can tell all of that by just putting your ear to the ground? And the guy said, no, I just got run over by him. (laughs) We all know what it's like to be run over, to be knocked down. Sometimes we get knocked down so hard, it's hard to get up. Days, weeks, months. Some just lie there flattened out for years. And we wonder if that's going to be our fate for the rest of our life. And if you've been that way or known that place or maybe you're there right now, I want you to know that this day is for you. The resurrection does not minimize our circumstances. The resurrection is God's offering of power in the midst of life. Poise, power, courage, serenity, hope, blessed assurance, whatever you want to call it. It's the confidence that God is with us. It is the confidence that God will not desert us. It is the confidence that God will see us through if we but take the power that he offers through the resurrection. If we just trust that he will not desert us. If we will just accept that he loves us. Note that the first witnesses of Easter knew full well that something had happened to them. That their world had been entered, encountered, transformed, and reformed by Easter. But Easter was not saying to them, let me get you out of this terrible, deadly, tearful world. Instead, it was God saying, Let me show you what I'm going to do. Let me show you what I'm going to do. Maybe it's time for us to pray that prayer. Oh, God, show me. Show me what you are going to do. I lay before you now the sorrows of my life. I lay before you now the circumstances of my life. I lay before you now my pain. Show me what you're going to do, oh God. Show me in your resurrection what you're going to do. Show me in the proof of your living what you were going to do. And you know what? I believe he will. I believe that God will. In closing, on that day of resurrection, it was set. Creation will never be the same. And the gospel is inviting us to see it and to believe it. The power and hope that was given at Easter is now given daily to those who believe. Claim it. Grab a hold of it. Hang on. And though we are driven to the ground, we are not done. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, God proclaimed forevermore that defeat and despair shall not have the last word that we can live with confidence, that we can live with confidence. And I don't care what the New York Times says. I don't care. 
because I know a risen Savior. I know a risen Savior. For Christ the Lord is risen today. The victory's won, hallelujah. And Jesus is worthy of our praise. <clears throat> he is the Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He is worthy of all blessing and honor and glory. And on this day, we know the Spirit moves among us. He, God is not dead but alive. On this day, we know that God, the God of all creation loves us, has conquered death and been let loose. The Lion of Judah is alive here and now to make all that is broken new. Christ the Lord is risen today. He has won the battle. It is o'er. Hallelujah.